Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Star. Quality programming for the Pan-African community. The Wholehearted Men Show. The Wholehearted Men Show. The Wholehearted Men Show. Good evening and welcome to The Wholehearted Men Show with your host, Sonic Kakamahuza. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for your continuing support. We hope our programming is providing reflective and objective moments that stimulate dialogue and change in your lives. Today we have some more nuggets of wisdom for you and I'll be sharing these and a lot more when we come back. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with Wholehearted Men after these messages. Jim, your restaurant looks great. You have a lot of new customers. Thanks, Dan. Things have really turned around. What changed? I joined Atlantic Barter, one of the area's oldest and largest barter exchanges in the Mid-Atlantic region. They really helped me grow my business. How did they help you? Well, through them, I traded restaurant meals in exchange for things like advertising and pest control services. They saved me thousands of dollars already. Do you think my business could benefit? Absolutely. The painter I used on trade to paint my restaurant picked up a cash job from one of my customers. That's great. I need new customers. Give them a call at 302-654-5650 or visit AtlanticBarter.com. They work with all kinds of businesses. I'm calling today. I definitely want to save some cash. I don't know why I haven't done this before. Be smarter. Think barter. Visit them on the web at AtlanticBarter.com to build barter into your business plan. Call 302-654-5650. That's 302-654-5650. Growing up, a visit to the dentist was one of the most undesirable experiences one could have. Today, all that has changed. I'm at Bristow Dental Care in Virginia with my family, and it feels nothing like the dentist office I knew. If my husband, the critic, likes it here, then you need to come to Bristol Dental and give it a try. It's comfortable. The people here are so friendly, you will forget you're in a dentist's office. At Bristow Dental, our mission here is to meet the needs of your entire family in a warm and friendly environment. We treat our patients with honesty and integrity, and we are conveniently open during weekends and even late hours. At Bristow Dental, we accept most PPO insurances, but if you don't have dental insurance, we can still take care of you. Call us on 703-361-0401 to book an appointment or go to bristowdental.com to learn more about us. Bristow Dental, compassionate dental services for the whole family. Fine. All right. Um, good evening and welcome to the Wholehearted Men Show. And uh, today on the Wholehearted Men Show with me, your host, Sonic Kakamhuza, I have um, a friend of mine who I have uh, known also for 
a little while. We met back here in Columbia, Maryland at um, Celebration Church. Uh, I, I can't even remember when that was, Mike. Pretty, uh, it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while. It's been, man, at least, I don't know, 2003, 2004, maybe. Look at that. Look at the look. At, that's a long time ago. That's man. a long time. A long time ago. <laughs> So, um, you know, Mike uh, is, um, uh, I, actually, I was, about to, I was about to steal your thunder, Mike, but I think that what you should do is let, let's take a moment for you to kind of give our listeners a little bit of a conceptual idea about you, your background, where you're at, where you, you know, where you've come from. And I think that would be instrumental as we continue to talk about, um, you know, what you've been doing and your work and how you see your work with men going forward. All right. Sure, sure. Okay. Um, it, it's it's a big question, but I think the most important thing to know about me first and foremost is that um, I'm a man of faith and uh, my family is very important. And um, and that's really, that's it. So everything else is is somewhat peripheral and, and secondary, but, I, but those are the things that lead me and those are the things that really kind of shape my perspective as it pertains to um, men and who we are and, and, and you know, um, how we should be maybe, right? Um, I'm a uh, retired uh, Army clinical psychologist and I actually grew up in, uh, in Virginia, down in the Hampton Roads area, Portsmouth, Virginia. And uh, my dad was Army. I don't remember any of that uh, when he was in. I just know that I thought everybody's father was like, you know, ripping their uh, blankets off and screaming, you know, get squared away and uh, doing very military type things at home. Apparently, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, he that that's really it's kind of how I came up. My, my dad was very regimented but compassionate. He was he was he's he's a good man, and um, and so you know, my mom was an English teacher uh, for the most of my childhood at, at Norfolk State University, and so um, that's where that's where really I, I kind of became who I who I, I turned out to be ultimately. Um, but but right now I'm a clinical psychologist by trade. My last half of my army career, I did retire from the army. The last half, um, I was actually uh, practicing psychology in the army, and um, got out. You know, well I married you know an army uh, army lady. Uh, Wendy is my wife, and so we were married for the most of our of our career. And so we retired both of us within the last two or three years. And so um, I practiced psychology in the army, and I continue to practice just a bit. Um, after I got out, uh, primarily, though, uh, my work centers around consulting. I'm a leadership um, expert. And so um, uh, I do consulting. I do um, training, uh, executive coaching, things like that. And I also do, you know, still do some performance enhance enhancement work um, as a psychologist. My specialty is uh, trauma and stress. And so that that's a uh, tough work. But the flip side of trauma and stress is performance. So it kind of helps a lot there, too, in terms of helping people to uh, perform at their optimum level. We're talking whether we're talking sports or speaking or singing or whatever it might be or leading. And so um, that's that's uh, where a lot of my time goes these days. Well, you you kind of said two things, I think, which were things that I want to circle back on while you were talking about being in the army right and yes. you started off by talking about faith so how was that for you being a man of faith right and mm -hmm. uh, being in the military were there any points at which uh, you had points of conflict or are there any points there where you those two things have 
been, uh, let me find a word, have, uh, you know, had any sort of dissonance between them? Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting, right? Because when you work for the government, then, you know, the perspective often is there are very, there are very strict rules. There are things you can say and there are things that you can't say. There are things that you can express and things that you cannot. And so, you know, I, in the Army, I was in leadership pretty much from the beginning all the way through. And so um, at the beginning, beginning of my career, I, I, I thought about it a lot. You know, be careful. Don't say anything that's going to offend. Don't step out of line. Don't say too much. And what, what I came to learn is that the only thing I could be is me. And so in terms of dissonance, I think there are some situations where um, you might think, you know, probably this is not the time to be you. Keep it together. <laughs> don't say, don't speak about God. Don't do that, right? Because that's going to rub somebody the wrong way. And yet, um, I've never gotten into any trouble for living as a man of faith. And it's, it's never been a question. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't wear it on my sleeve. I didn't go around and say, Hey, y'all, I'm a Christian. Um, however, people, they, they say that they will know that you're a Christian by the love that you show and how you relate to other people. And I think a lot of people just picked up on that. And so what tended to happen most of the time is that opportunities were created for discussion. And that's even in practice, because people ask you questions and I'm not one to shy away from a, an odd answer to a question. So oftentimes in my, in my clinical practice in particular, people would ask me about, about faith or about my faith. And, um, and so I, I, I would uh, freely talk about that. So I, I, I can say that there were times I thought about it, but it, it never was really a problem for me. It just always kind of worked out. The other thing, I talked, of course, about faith. Uh, the other part about it was when you talked about your clinical practice and talked about yes. the fact that you practice. In terms of um, sex, uh, mm -hmm. not sex as in, but male, female, you know. Uh, sure, sure. In terms of that, what was the majority of, like, uh, patients that you saw? Were they male or uh, female? What, what was the majority? I would say I was probably at about 50-50 male, female. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting statistic though, because, um, the military is roughly what, 14% or so women. Uh, I would say that I treated about 50, 50, uh, male, female. And so, um, that's an interesting statistic though, because about 14% or so 14 to 16% of the military is actually women. So they don't represent half. So, so you can see that women were, uh, probably overrepresented in my practice. Okay, so having said that, when it comes to uh, the men that you saw, but what would what was the predominant concerns amongst the men? Um, I, I would say the top three in terms of the presenting cases for men. Um, well, as you may you, as you may expect, there were um, a number of trauma cases. Um, maybe the majority uh, PTSD related. However, um, there were uh, many depression cases, and also with men. Uh, and when I say presenting issue, the thing they come in the door with um, mm -hmm. anger, anger. You know, and so when somebody comes in and they're profoundly angry then you have to begin to kind of peel back and begin to understand what that anger is about. Because for men, often um, depression and things like that, depression, and anxiety will actually manifest themselves as anger because that's the safe one. I can still remain, you know, 
appearing in control and I can remain powerful and strong looking if I'm angry, but not so much if I'm depressed. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You see, now you're. I'm salivating. So because that's actually <laughs> language. That's actually language that we have been sharing here on the show. That uh, what you're telling me is that everything presenting issues are the things that men actually shroud themselves in and use those as safety mechanisms to walk through the door with. So if I'm That's angry, right. it's it's easier because anger still displays power and still displays strength. But that's after right. you start peeling away, that's when the hey, you know, actually I'm depressed because you know, uh, you know, I'm not A B C D or blah 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 is actually what happened, right? Yes, so, yes. So, what kind of mechanics do you not to give away your secrets? But are there any specific mechanics that you feel um, you use to break that down and? Even having said that, what kind of tips do you give men after you get to the core issues? I mean, let's say you work through the 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 anger and you find out that the person's depressed. Um, you know, what's that breakdown and what's that what's your view of how you walk through that and 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 allow the person to understand that they're actually not angry, they're actually depressed. Yeah, yeah. Um I tell you what, it's a challenge because once somebody comes to me, understand people in general don't wake up. Most people, I should say, don't wake up and say, yes, today I'm going to see my psychologist. I'm going to see a It's going to be awesome. That generally is not how that happens. And um, particularly, you know, when a military population, if you think about that, right, there are certain things where that there are certain things that are stigmatized in the military population historically. Uh, and mental health has been one of those things. Mm-hmm. And if you look in our, in our society, same thing. And so there are some there are some uh, there's some baggage that comes along with going to see a mental health professional. And so when someone comes in, and they are profoundly angry at something. Um, you know, uh, you'll you'll be maybe shocked to know there's no secrets, right? Everything that I do um, is about building a relationship and creating a place that's safe for people to say what's real. And so, once we begin to get into what's real, and we, be, and we begin to unpack it, and we begin begin to challenge certain things, then that those things just kind of come out. And, and what you find interestingly is, if you can cut past the anger and get down to something more substantive, um, then we have to deal with if someone is able to tap into, say, like sadness or shame or something like that. Well, now we have to deal with this the shame associated with tapping into the sadness or the shame, because now, now it's like, I'm not supposed to be everything I learned, everything I've been taught, everything I've been telling people, what I've been living is this strength, this power thing. Men don't cry. Men don't talk about that type stuff. Men don't get down. We, we suck it up, but we, you know, we, we, we persevere, et cetera. And so once you get to a place of weakness, quote unquote, well, now we have to deal with that. And that's, even that can be even more challenging to help people to not um, to not feel ashamed right. of of feeling of this basic human emotion uh, called feeling. And so, how do I walk them forward? Well, first we I say first throughout um, I try to get people talking in in feeling terms. Right when I, I say, well, tell me how you felt when you heard that, or tell me how you felt when you saw this. 
And generally, when you ask that question, people will say something to the effect of, well, you know, I felt like they were disrespecting. Whoa, 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 no, no, no. I did. Tell me how you felt. Use feeling words, emotions, happiness, anger, sadness, etc. Right. And so I get people trained on how to hear themselves speaking so that we can begin at least using the language of emotion and, and, and give them permission to have emotion. We're human beings. Right. We were born with emotions mm -hmm. and it's natural to express them and, and unnatural not to express them. And um, so that's how I do it. And, and oftentimes I will I will illustrate. Um, I, ke I kept a a uh, case of uh, of diet soda in my office, just pl plastic bottles. Mm -hmm. And I pull one out and I'd say, hey, you know, this is you, this bottle. See, this is you under normal circumstances. See, it's almost filled up. This, all this in here, this is life, <laughs> right? And you have a little bit of space here that you have for, um, you know, as far as just space to expand or your your ability to tolerate things. And then, then I take that bottle and I just bang it on the desk uh -oh. and I just shake it up. And then I hand it to him and I say, open it. How many people you, do you think I've had open that bottle over the years? Not, not even not even one, unless they, they absolutely have never had that scenario in their life. You know what I mean? Exactly. Not a one. And I've done that, I don't know how many dozens of times, um, maybe hundreds at this point. And I asked them, you know, they said, no, I'm not opening it. And I, my, my question is, well, why? Why are you not opening that? They said, well, because it's going to make a mess. I, was, I said, yeah, right. And we can clean it up. And that's when the light for some people comes on mm. that they have to create more space, more capacity, let go of some of that stuff. And even if they do, even if it's messy, then we can clean it up. And that's really a lot of the work that we're doing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, you said keywords, relationship, safety. OK, and this mm -hmm. analogy, by the way, unfortunately for you, I'm going to steal it. Um, hey, be my guest. <laughs> take this, that's a deep analogy because part of um, what you're saying, and I think you know you're 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 a listener to the show, and you've heard uh, us talking about this whole thing about containers of safety and creating places where men can share and men can feel safe enough, yes. like you said, to open the you know to open the bottle. And, yeah. and, you know, and, and I love that analogy that, you know what, we can clean it up because the idea here is everybody just wants to look like that perfect bottle of Pepsi. That's right. You know, That's right. and, and the crazy thing with that bottle of Pepsi is after you shook it up and you put it down, it probably doesn't look too threatening. If you weren't around for the actual shaking, you would open it. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Exactly. If you weren't around for the shaking, you would literally just grab that thing and open it, and then it'd be like, "Oh, what happened?" You know what I mean? Yes. And that's actually yes. how many of us show up in the world. We go around meeting people, and you know, people don't know we've been shaken up, and they try to open to try to get to the crux, and all of a sudden, it's like, "Hey," you know what I'm saying? We spill over, and nobody around us is willing to help with the cleanup because they're like, man, what, what kind of mess you made? You know what I'm saying? And they walk away from it because they're figuring you're the mess. You need to clean this up. You're listening to Sonica on Wholehearted Men. Don't touch that dial.
is a one of a kind mode and original from one second oh oh where did i go wrong somebody let me know some choices that i made are the reason that i'm in this place today i'm not where i want to be i don't recognize me interview with Mike Perry. What are the typical misconceptions that you think men have about themselves that you are you have seen? What are the misconceptions that men have? I, I think I think the typical ones are, are common and you've talked about them um, and we talk about them all the time. You know, this idea that, you know, I have to be strong. I have to have all the answers. I have to solve all the problems alone. That's the key, the key piece, right? I have to do it and I have to be able to do it by myself because if I ask for help, somebody might find me out. Somebody might find out that I'm not as strong. You know, I have to have a tool to fix everything that comes my way. Mm. And, and, you know, when, when I'm talking to somebody who is, um, who's a Christian in particular, then we, 
often kind of come across this idea of of um, God's strength being perfect in our weakness. And when we are weak, he is strong. And it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement that we can't control everything. In fact, some, some might argue that we can't control anything. Right. And so if, you, if you're able to accept that, then it changes everything for you. However, if you believe that everything that you learn from, you know, your grandfather and your uncles and your dad and all those people and like, hey, you got to you have to be the one. Well, I, I just don't believe that's so. And in fact, if we were able to open the door on their lives, we see a lot of weakness. We see a lot of failure. But what we tend to see is the shell, right? Some people have called it over the over the over the years the mass. We see what people want us to see, not what's really going on. Right. And so, yeah. So I, I think that those are really kind of the the recurring uh, misconceptions that I can continue to, continue to see rather all the time. So one of the things that I want to bring to your attention or to your uh, purview is what is your thought about this whole, you said Christian men. My yes. experience has been that um, it's probably the most pervasive amongst uh, Christian men in terms of that dissonance, in terms of because of that relationship, like, okay, you know, we all got to pray, you know, pray about it, blah, blah, connection with God. But that real deep truth about weakness, about being able to just say, you know, I can't do it by myself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I need recovery. You know, it's like I make yeah. a joke about, um, you know, a recovery program that, you know, I, I, I used to attend. And knowing that three quarters of the people that I was interacting with in the environment of the church, I was like, e e you need to be in recovery, you know, in my mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was stigmatized, you know, because it was like, oh, the you know, if you're in recovery, you're broken, you know. Yes. Um, as opposed to you're brave. So mm -hmm. what is your experience with the Christian understanding of, you know, this process of help, of coming to places like, with, to people like you, you know, to psychologists, to psychiatrists and saying, listen, um, praying didn't help this, yeah, you know, right. um, and mm -hmm. God, I know God gave you the brain power and the power to do this. And therefore it is actually a God thing. You know what I mean? And I'm seeking. That's right. So yes. what is, what, what is, what have you seen in that? Cause I call it a stigma and I've said it yes. on this show. That's a stigma. So what is your experience with that? Um, among the most difficult populations that you ever work with. Wow. Hands down. And and you will often see, I mean, you know, um, part of what I've done over the years, too, is respond is to respond to um, things like, you know, suicide, you know, of a, of a um, family member, suicide of, you know, parent. Typically that, well, in my experience, all the time, it's been it's been the man of the family in all of my experiences. And many of those folks were believers and everybody around them was, you know, saying, wow, you know, I don't I don't know what happened. I don't know. Um, everything seemed fine. They were doing great at work. You know, they were a pillar of the church and everybody leaned on them. Mm -hmm. And well, that be that becomes part of the issue. Right. Because um, some people believe that if you're the one that everyone leans on, then you don't have anywhere to go to lean on anybody else. Right. And so that gets back to that, that idea. I'm the one who has to solve, solve all these problems. I have to carry this weight. And so ironically in the church, um, it's very difficult to get men to expose themselves in that way, to show 
that that quote unquote weakness or that vulnerability. And um, that that's the real problem in the church. And it is something that um, I'm, I'm working on and with um, all the time. I mean, it's, it's kind of a constant battle, but I'm staying in that battle because I believe the key is for us to create relationships and create, you know, these these um, vulnerable that that vulnerable, that safe space right. where. I can learn. I can I can talk to you and and recognize. Wow, you know you're we are like just alike. <laughs> Even though I thought it was great on your side of the house, but I see that that maybe you know you do understand what I'm feeling, what I'm going through. And and then if if you can get to that place, then you're doing something. You're able to support each other, and you're able to, um, you know, when when I'm feeling um, when I'm up, then I can kind of pull you along, and vice versa. So you know. But in the church, it is profoundly difficult. Yeah, of course, you and I have been, you know, in the same church. But I think that um, I want to piggyback that and make it cultural. Um, it might be the same answer, but mm-hmm. the African-American male community. So let's yes. now ramp that up. Because I'm sure in the military you had a spectrum of people coming to you. Uh, yes. So the same question, but now in the African American community, mm-hmm. what, are, what are your thoughts about our the stigma of of asking for help? Yeah, in, in the African American community, the stigma of of asking for help, um, interestingly, runs deeper. Generally speaking, now now I say that, and, and I, I've over the years I've been. Um, I've been able to be exposed to a lot of lot of folks in a lot of different, you know, church and, and, and faith based organizations, and so it's safe to say that there's a stigma for asking for help. Period. However, in the African American community, um, historically, you know, we 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 how do I say it? Well, I just say it the way I'm thinking it. We want to pray away all the problems. And so (laughs) we want to pray it all away and we don't recognize when God is sending help. God didn't say, hey, I'm going to personally come down and do this thing for you right now. Right. The Holy Spirit is working through people, but God gave us each other. Right. He gave us each other to support each other, to love each other. And with all these gifts. Right. It's in the word. We all have these gifts and these talents. And so. um you know, for mental health, people people often try to, you know, you want to pray that away. And if if there's something going on with you, then there's a problem. But, you know, once you start asking questions, it's interesting. You start asking questions and then all of a sudden you find out about your 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 parents' history. Or you find out about that aunt that nobody talks about. You find out Ooh. about what you, your, your grandparents went through. Don't, don't go right? there, Mike. Don't You're starting stuff. <laughs> we're there. That's we we going we there. We're gonna stay there because we we have been lying to to ourselves, right? Because of shame. And I can and and today. And this is not like twenty years ago, thirty, forty, fifty. This is today, right. where we have families who don't want to talk about certain things. Certain things remain taboo, and so we continue to suffer. You know, you hear this term in the in the church, um, uh, generation generational curses, right? Yes. yes. And 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 really, to me. And the generational curse is, is simply a continuation of a pattern that is unbroken because we are afraid to talk about certain things. Because we lied, to, we've been passing down lives generationally. That's it. That's it. And so um, that that's the issue with mental health, right? There, there's once you, if you have an issue, I would, I would, anybody that listens to your show, I would almost guarantee you that if people were telling the truth, 
you would not be the first one in your family to experience that issue. And if you begin um, asking questions and if people can be honest, you will find that you will find that link. But, you know, oftentimes we don't we don't want to investigate it. We, we don't want to know the truth. We don't want to go to therapy. We don't want to take medication. Mm. It goes on and on. I mean, even there are even um, and no, this is not what this show is about. But there are kids right now who are um, um, experiencing some pretty profound cases of, of ADHD. Right. And here in 2018, we don't want to accept that ADHD is a real thing. And so we put kids in a place where they struggle their entire lives. Now, and, and kids in other cultures, other ethnicities, um, oftentimes we recognize it early, get them medicated, and you'd be shocked at the difference. The difference is a night and day difference between right. that child that's being treated and the child that is not, and that changes the entire trajectory of their lives. So um, we got to stop. We got to we got to um, got to stop lying to each other, and we got to kind of look in the mirror and do some some soul searching. Don't touch that dial. For the best news, entertainment, and talk shows, stay tuned to My Star Radio. We'll be right back with Wholehearted Men after these messages. Kojak Media is an interactive video production company that produces and packages high conversion videos for distribution. With over 20 years of production experience for television and multinational businesses, we know something about how to build a successful brand. We can help turn your business around using the most powerful marketing tool ever created. Video. Videos build trust. Videos uses a combination of sight, sound, and emotions to convey a great deal of information within seconds. This is why over 70% of buyers will make a decision whether or not to buy after watching your product video. Let's discuss your business. Kojak Media, sharing the power of video. Call Kojak Media on 302-450-4888. So now you own a business. That's cool. And now you have a Facebook page where you can share images of your products with your small circle of friends and last year's customers. That's also cool. What is not so cool is that you are overworking yourself every single day in an effort to attract customers. And so far, it hasn't happened. There is an easier, less stressful way to do this. Talk to Orange 3 Media. They will build you a fully functional website with automated blog posts and social media integration in under 72 hours for $500. Yes, $500. Go to orange3media.com or call them on 302-213-4315. 302-213-4315. Orange 3 Media. Digital solutions for small businesses. Get on the web. Let's get back to our interview with Mike Perry. You actually have led me to another thought which I wanted to follow up, but I can't go forward without going back to what you said and talking about this whole idea of generational curses. This And by the way, this show is whatever you make it. And now that you went into that ADHD thing, um, <laughs> it, it makes so much sense because this is what happens. You know, a, a, a child who has difficulty like you said concentrating difficulty you know being able to engage in an environment because of what's going on in their head grows up into a man who has the same problems exactly absolutely and that's the key the key is it's not like because it wasn't treated as a kid you basically just become a functional 
whatever it is. Just like you can be a functional alcoholic, you know, a mm -hmm. functional, be a functional pothead, a functional drug. You, you get the body has its way of helping you to get through your day, but it doesn't take away the fact that you are still not able to really maximize your potential. So I love what you said with that. So in yeah. terms of awareness, in terms of how we get either men, the average man to connect with, um, you know, their, their hearts and their awareness. And, and how did you get to this level of awareness outside of your, you know, your, your education and your experience? How did you get to this place where you were like, you know what, uh, I got to live differently? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it happened in phases for me, uh, a number of phases. Um, my, you know, as I said, my father, he was he was kind of a, a military behaving type, but very compassionate. And we talked a lot. And so he's the first one who let me know, hey, actually, it's OK to cry. And so that was cool. You know, growing up, I, I didn't think it was cool at the time. I just thought, OK, <laughs> you know, but he let me know that that was OK. And so I've always had a comfort level to some extent. I have two sisters, by the way, and no brothers and, and you know, all that. So, um, it, you know, in terms of emotion, I mean, I just I lived in that. Right. But there's still those things. Right. And so my grandfather was um, this this man, you know, he was uh, how do how do I explain my grandfather? I, I didn't necessarily see him ever cry. I mean, he was all about telling it like it was. And, you know, he was all about projecting strength and um, he didn't mind if you hurt your feelings. And, and in fact, he would, you know, kind of push people. And if they were able to stand up under the pressure, they got, you know, um, you got his respect. Yeah. And if you broke down under the pressure, he didn't leave you alone. And so I watched that and I'm like, OK, so I got to be able to stand, stand up under pressure and maybe I need to be able to push a little bit. So I'll fast forward you to the army where as a young army uh, a captain, as a company commander, I, I you know, I kind of enjoyed being the one to um, to lean in hard sometimes to, you know, to to give out punishment. And then people started crying. I, I, I would you know, I'm ashamed to say today, but I would kind of put them out of my office. First, I kind of get them there like, oh, and I, I think to myself, mm -hmm, got you crying. I win. And then I put them out of my office and I bring them back and, and you know, lean in a little bit more. And then I went to graduate school. And so the books are not what helped me to change. What helped me to change was Dr. Jeanette Witter. She lives in Washington, D.C. And so hopefully um, she doesn't mind me putting her name out, but I'm going to put it out there because she is the one who made me question everything that I knew about myself um, she made me challenged about everything that drove my rigid, my rigidity and my preconceived notions about my career and who I was and who people were. I mean, she she was like she taught ethics, but mm. she took a, a personal interest in just challenging me every day. And after that experience, it really caused me to look at myself and say, wow, you know, what am I doing really? And who do I want to be? Um, and who, who am I showing others? Um, how to be, I mean, what am I showing them? You know, how, how do you treat people and, and how do you make a real difference without being a jerk? Ah. And so, um, I don't know. So that began a, an entirely different journey of beginning to see myself in people and do that work of actually, you know, taking in and, and the way that I do my work, I mean, I'm, it, for me, it's, it's all very personal. And so you, you don't want to get too close, but to me, there's, it's very difficult to do the work 
any, any kind of work you're doing with people without really having a deep understanding for who they are and for the context that you're sitting in. And so, you know, I began to see myself a lot in people and I began to see my family and people. And then I began to see um, it got kind of larger. I began to see our culture and at, as it manifests in people as they came to me for help. Um, now working against the very culture that planted all those things in them, you know? And so, um, I, so I don't know. So my, I, my, my awareness was built over, over time. And then of course, you know, you have, you have children and I have two daughters and when you have two girls, I mean, you know, say what you want. I, I think it's a little different <laughs> when you have two girls and i um, actually wrote a, a piece. You and, you and on, me both. <laughs> yeah. I, I know, you know, right. <laughs> um, I actually wrote a piece last year. Um, I, it's just something I, I, I put on LinkedIn, but the title is something to the effect of um, um, what hair and makeup taught me about um, about life's most important moments or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, it's about being it's about being present and, and, and taking in what's happening around you. So like I said, it, it, there was a long journey to writing that article. Well, you just again, you know what's funny is I always tell people that when when I speak to men who are um there and and there is such a you know large word. You and I when we talk, you know, when we talk and I'm talking it's 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 very much an intersection of talking with a person who has done the work is the word we call it, you know, <laughs> has done the work. <laughs> and you and I come from different, you know, you, you've come from doing the work and being a clinical psychologist. And I've been in the chair on the opposite side of you, <laughs> you know, and worked mm-hmm. through my own demons to get to the place where I said, I just can't continue to be that person. But you said presence, you know. Mm-hmm. And you use the word presence. And what I've tried to do is create this this list of vocabulary words that I'm trying to introduce into the lives of especially African Americans, because I share that yes. I go I go twice a year to Comega, which is the Connecticut Men's Gathering, uh, which is a place that I was introduced by my therapist in 2013 in Connecticut, and has been a staple, uh, you know, staple in my own evolution as a man. And the reason I go mm. is because. It's a place, like you said, it's a container of safety for men, you know, and it's 98% Caucasian. So mm-hmm. I hear this language that you and I are sharing often, you know, when I'm talking to the brothers from Comega, I'm on the phone with them, you know, like we're going back and forth. But it just titillates me, you know, when I, when I have these conversations with brothers, with African-American brothers, because it's just, you know, African brothers, you know, it's it's just so... It doesn't even make sense how disconnected we are from our hearts, you know? Yes, yes. And, and it, it's got nothing to do. You know, in my house, um, you know, I have to be... And you can, by the way, you can... you can. It's your turn to do some therapy. But what happened was uh, <laughs> I was away for the week and I came back and my daughter had done some speaking at uh, church. You know, she had done some speaking on some very, very heavy things. Some, You know, she it was a little bit of a... A testimony on her part and she was in front of her youth group so they videotaped it for me and I watched it yesterday I didn't get the chance to watch it I came back Friday so last night I said oh let me see it and I saw it and after I saw it there was a video that the youth minister played after and it just tore me up 
you know, and mm-hmm. I, I literally was bawling like a baby, you know, and and my <laughs> yes. daughter, you know, my daughter, my youngest daughter came and she was like, ah, oh, put a hand on my head and blah, blah, blah. And there was a time in my life where that would never, you know, have happened. And if it happened, mm-hmm. it may have happened in this, you know, in the sanctuary of my bedroom with my wife or something. Um, yes. But I think when it really made a difference for me and when I realized what I had stolen from my child was when my mother died in 2015, uh, January of 2015 on the 28th. And my daughter went on to say that it was the first time she had seen me cry. Mm-hmm. And that yes. to me, people, you know, people kind of go, huh? And I'm like, if you can imagine that my daughter at that time was, uh, what are we in? She was 17. Imagine 17 years when my child had never seen our father cry. You know? Yep, exactly. I, I, I didn't even, you know, it, it, I, I look back on it now, Mike, and I, it, 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 mm-hmm. it just astounds me. Yep. But you'd be shocked. Well, maybe, well, actually, no, you wouldn't be shocked um, to know that there are, and I don't know what the numbers are, but I can tell you, you can very easily go out today and find, um, you know, all kinds of people, you know, all kinds of men who've never let their child, their wife, their friends see them express emotion like that. Express, and I say express emotion, express sadness like that. And the reason I the reason I make that distinction is because often we talk about being emotional and we put this this label on emotional. Right. There's something disparaging about being emotional. And so, frankly, I don't know what emotional is. You know, I know what the expression of emotion is of a certain emotion. And so we we um, we have to we got to do better, because if we're not. If if you're if we're if, if your your child is what seventeen and she's never seen you cry your 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 kids are adults and they've never seen you know their father cry, then in essence we we haven't given them a whole experience right we've given them what we want them to see and and in fact that's what we give everybody else as well and so if that's what you if that's all you're able to do then there's there are some things that you're missing out on. And, and in fact, we, you're even you're sending messages and you are even training the people around you about what's OK and what's not OK. And we're just kind of perpetuating that misconception, misconception in our culture. Right. You're listening to Sonica on Wholehearted Men. Don't touch that dial.
Let's get back to our interview with Mike Perry. So yeah. you and I are talking and, you know, a lot of this stuff, okay, symptomatic, these are the issues, this is how we're displaying. How do we make this better? What What mm. is it that we need to do? Whether you have a voice or you're trying to have a voice, what's the, what's the roadmap for change? Mm. Um, I think... The roadmap for change. Interestingly, I, I think that um, you know at Celebration Church, there there's a little something that uh, our pastor used to say that has become my roadmap for change in most things. When I'm trying to um, get people to build relationship and to take risk and to try different things, um, and that is to first grow smaller, and and in doing so create the ability to grow larger. And what I mean is creating these, these um, small, you know, these cellular type relationships, a couple of people, right? Me and you eating breakfast, or maybe there are three of us, maybe that grows to four, um, you know, 10 people in a group that meet on a, r- a routine basis, maybe, and not forcing anything, just allowing people to see what's possible when you get together with people and you, no one has any agendas, there's nothing to lose. There's nothing to prove. It's just the ability to get together and to share what's really going on with you mm-hmm. and what that's like. And so over the course of time, you're able to create an environment where people now they can take some chances. And so that's not for everybody, but uh, my belief is that if you create that enough and we've seen it, right, in some of the couples ministry work we, we've done, right? You create these small pockets of people, and all of a sudden, there's some value in it, and people want to be there, and they want to kind of come back and again and again. And then so people on the outside are like, hey, you know, what what are you doing over there? How do I get some of that? What What's working about that? You know, why does it make you feel like you need to be there? And so I believe that you can just continue to grow in that way. And to, all of a sudden you created a, move, a movement. So to answer your question, it is about first um, getting small and intimate, right? Being able to just talk about real things, period. And, and all you need is one or two people who are willing to be transparent like that in order for that to catch on. Right. Because once people recognize that they're safe, it, it changes uh, what they're willing to say and how they're willing to show up. So I, I think like that's that. that's one step. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. In fact, I think the operative word is safety because I share that everywhere yes. I go. I said that, um, you know, when people are safe and they feel safe, then that's mm-hmm. when they drop things that make you go, oh, you know, that's definitely something we need to address. Uh, mm-hmm. It's actually with, I, I, I always use millennials because in the education system, when I'm teaching, when I'm talking to educators and I'm trying to train them, I've always told mm-hmm. them, I said, you know, Millennials have a very quick, uh, for lack of better words, BS meter. You know, yes. it takes them within thirty seconds. They figure out whether to trust you or not. 
That's right. You know, and once they do or they don't, if they do, you're good. If they don't, then they're not going to open up to you because they are just not in a place where they feel that you're a safe person for them to be able to be vulnerable with. That's um, right. But I think what happens with adults is it takes such a long time for us to break down because we've had so much history of not trusting, you know. Mm-hmm. And this this thing about I need to carry this by myself because whenever I say I'm in pain or I'm feeling weak or I'm not feeling like as I am enough, mm-hmm. then I am viewed as weak by men and women. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. And, and I, I think that if you're going to create an environment that is that is safe, that's the first thing, right? But then you have to create an environment where people are willing to come out of, come out of the shadows, so to speak. And one thing I think that is true about doing that is you um there what's that song old song you can't start a fire without a spark mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. there has to be someone that's willing to go there someone someone that's willing to stand in front of people and just be completely you know open and vulnerable right because if you don't have that then why would I take a risk right you're 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 being careful well, I'm going to be careful too but if you're willing to take a risk then it, it creates opportunities. And then you have to be willing to um, to challenge, right? Because nobody wants, frankly, um, and, and you know, I've sat in a lot of places and, and looked at a lot of people stand up and give, you know, give testimony or to supposedly, you know, reveal something about themselves and they were totally safe, right? Yeah, you know, back, I remember when I used to drink in college, oh, please, so? <laughs> well, didn't we all? And so yep. you're not doing, you're not giving me anything here, but once you reveal the thing that, that might be shameful, the thing that shows that maybe, wow, you're not the guy we thought you were, right. you know, like for me, um, and, and I don't mind, you know, my wife and I have, have told this story publicly, but when I, you know, at the point where we came to Maryland, our marriage was in serious trouble. Right. And I mean, serious trouble. Why? We, we had just driven all the way from San Antonio um, that, that was a two day trip, two kids, two dogs. And we probably spoke 10 words all the way from San Antonio to Maryland. And that is because, um, I had, I had a secret on my heart, right? I, I, I had already at that point, um, violated the trust in my marriage. I cheated on my wife, oh. right? That happened around. And the day I was going to tell her was the same day that Kobe, the news about Kobe Bryant in Colorado came out, Ooh. if you remember that story, yeah, same day. Yeah. And I remember how angry she was at Kobe Bryant. My wife does not know Kobe Bryant. <laughs> she was hot. And so I thought, oh my. Um, and, and at that time, our marriage, outside looking in, perfect, right? She thought it was right. perfect. We thought it was perfect. And the world thought it was perfect. Right. And I rode from San Antonio to Texas, I mean, to Maryland. And when we got to Maryland, two days later, I told her. And that was before we joined um, joined that church, joined Celebration. But um, that almost ended our marriage. And so um, what got us back? Well, what got us back in part was realigning ourselves. Um, first, you know, we we got married and we took we took a vows and she was serious about those vows, as was I. And so we never talked about divorce. And, and and people may be shocked to know that we 
to this date have never slept in different beds unless we've been traveling, but we've never slept in different beds. Um, but that doesn't mean it wasn't ugly and difficult at first, but we realigned ourselves um, trying to understand what God had for us had for us to do. And that's when I got more into men's ministry at Celebration. That's when she got more into the dance ministry. And we then began to grow closer together. And I can tell you today, um, I'll save you all the details. We don't have that kind of time, but I can tell you that today that our marriage is stronger than it's ever been. We lead, you know, we establish a marriage ministry at our church. Right. We, um, we're, um, um, uh, directors for uh, family lives weekend to remember here in this area. Just had an event last October. I mean, there's a lot that God has us doing in this area of marriage. Why? Because we've been through it, but we've also gotten to a place where we're able to tell people about it. And I'm able to tell other men, look, you know, I, I know where I know where you've been. I've been, you know, to the darkest of the darkest places in this, and it can be okay, right? Um, but how can I? How can I? have that conversation if I can't be vulnerable, if I can't put it out there for people to say, man, Mike, I thought you were just like the perfect guy. No, wrong. <laughs> you would have you would have been wrong. And that's OK. I don't have a desire to be perfect. Right. I just I have a desire to um, to love my wife, love my family and to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And so um, that, that's why it's important to be able to talk about things in, in ways that people can connect with and not run from it. Well, listen, I, I'm not going to go anywhere first without pausing here for our wholehearted men uh, listeners and letting them know that that is an example of true vulnerability, authenticity, and the ability to connect. And the other part is that, you know, um, at this point, Mike feels safe. <laughs> and that's probably the biggest thing that somebody has actually shared with us on wholehearted men so we hold that um, you know i hold that with a lot of uh, respect uh, the fact that you're willing mm -hmm. to connect with our listeners the fact that you're willing to expose your humanness to them um, and show them that mm -hmm. you know even absolutely great and wonderful people make mistakes but it's not about the mistake it's about what you do to fix yourself yeah, absolutely. And and I thank thank you for that by the way, but you know, I I'm just a believer that um there's there's nothing, you know, people often talk about, you know, their business. You know, I don't want anybody in my business because I don't know, you know, but my thing is if if I if I if I own my business, so to speak, if I own my story, then no one can use my story against mm. me. Right. And so and so I own that story. My wife and I own that story. And it has become part of, you know, we, we, we in fact, in uh, what, three weeks, we hit 20 years. Um, it's Ooh, 20 year anniversary. Congratulations, man. Congratulations. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. And so, I mean, what what can anybody tell me about that? You know, and, and if someone what can anybody do in terms of judgment and how they look at me? Because what I know and maybe this is in part because of my profession and, and, and in part because I just I pay attention to people. What I know is that um, my story is not unique. And um, I know that there are, are just so many other stories out there. And so if we could get to a place where we weren't so isolated, you know, remember, isolation um, is the thing that makes you weak. But together, 
there's all kinds of things you can overcome. And so what we got to recognize is that our stories are not unique. So let's get over it and let's just talk about this thing so we can we can have, you know, a, a better life and that we can help other people have a better life as well. Yeah, I love that, uh, that isolation um, because there's an old African proverb. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to get there, go with, <laughs> go with somebody. Oh, I love that. That's actually, that's going to be up on the gram tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Can I keep it? <laughs> you can do whatever you want with it, man. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's, I, I sometimes see all these African, all these African things and I'm like, you know what, um, they, they, in the years before religion and all that, we had a lot of things that uh, the elders passed down, you know, which meant the same thing. You know, it's only yes. that we had oral history as opposed to written history that Western civilization has brought. But if we could have been able to capture all those things, there would have been a Bible of their own, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, there would have been Absolutely. a Bible of their own. But um, my brother, I have, um, it has been such a blessing to listen to you and talk with you. And uh, one of the things that I keep saying to people is... You know, that I would love for them to come back. Uh, some of them I say that because I think it's just become part of my, um, you know, my, my outro, as we call it. Um, <laughs> and I have to start thinking about the people I say it. But I'm really thinking about something. Um, and I think that you definitely, if you would like, we definitely need to have you come back. And hey. I really appreciate having you back to have, uh, you know, we can spread these conversations around. Yeah, hey, absolutely. You just say the word and I'll be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Um, it just always enjoy talking to you. Yeah. So what would you like to leave our listeners with? Uh, one last, uh, you know, word of wisdom. Oh, um, one last word of wisdom. I, I would just ask your listeners to um, stop acting. I, I would like people to you know, just always be willing to ask themselves, you know, um, you know, how, how do I really feel about this? Don't just stop at anger, but really think about, you know, how am I feeling? What is the impact this is having on me? And who needs to know, you know, who do I need to, to talk to uh, in order to really to have the complete conversation? You know, um, we need we need to have complete conversations and whole relationships. And so I, I just challenge people to look around and 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 find who they need to kind of close the loop with and complete that relationship by really, you know, exposing their entire selves. I'll leave you with that. Wow. 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 Um, close the loop with and um, entire self so that you actually show up as a whole person. I love that. Thank you so much, Mike Perry. Um, we look forward to having you back on the Wholehearted Men Show, my brother. And um, you take care. Yes, sir. Thank you. We want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us here on the Wholehearted Men Show. Uh, special thanks to our producer, Coffee Jaque. And until next time, Sonic out. The Wholehearted Men Show. The Wholehearted Men Show. The Wholehearted Men Show. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
Sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.